Hey, Cornerstone, how you doing? Man, it's good to be here. I'm glad you're here. I, I think we've got a conversation in this stress series today that has the capacity for a bunch of us uh, who are struggling to navigate this to give us a filter, to give us a reference point that if we would simply use it, it has the ability to change this conversation for us in a dramatic, dramatic, dramatic way. So I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you're going to be part of this with us uh, today. How many people would say out loud, say, you know what? I'm hoping to have a good life. That's what I'm hoping, hoping a good life. Okay, so all you that didn't raise your hand, you're liars. You're just liars. I want to suffer for Jesus. No, you don't. You don't. We may have to, but you don't want to suffer. And the truth is, we'd all like to have a great life, right? I mean, I, we all would like to have a, a good career. And I can't, I can't even tell you how thankful I am for just the opportunity to pastor this church, to be here and to be your pastor. I can't tell you how honored I am for that privilege in my life. Uh, I'm just telling you, if you'd grown up on my neighborhood when I was a kid, you would have never thunk. You'd have said, that boy's going to jail. That's what you would have said. And, and the idea that God would let me be here and doing this, I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. And I'm just so thankful for that blessing in my life. Um, all of us would like to have good health, right? I, I went to the doctor this last week. I did the whole physical thing. The doctor touched me in ways that I don't want to talk about. And I got done and he says, you know, hey, you're, you're reasonably healthy. You're doing pretty good. Your cholesterol's a little bit high. And uh, he said, you know, anybody else in your family have that going on? And I said, no, uh, apparently I'm the only one. And uh, he reads down on my uh, paperwork a little further and he goes, what's this about your father had heart disease and he's had multiple stints put in? And I go, yeah. And he goes, that's cholesterol. Like, Who knows? But, you know, I, you know I'd, personally, I'd like to remain, you know, relatively healthy. I'd like to be cancer-free. I'd like to, you know, just get to the point, whatever that point is, when it's time to go. And, you know, just massive heart attack. That would be great. You know, just all of a sudden, ow, and done. I mean, that would just, you know, you're going and then, and done. I mean, that would be great, right? We'd all like to be relatively healthy. Good marriage. We'd all like to have a good marriage, right? Um my wife and I, you ready for this? My wife and I have been married for 34 years. Uh, yeah. Every night, every night my wife and I cuddle for 34 years. A lot of nights we do some other stuff. But for the sake of today, uh, we cuddle. We cuddle for 34 years. And guys, I'm just telling you, it, it's fun to have a good marriage. It is fun to have a good marriage. And we want good kids. I mean, that's, you know... All of us would love to have a good life. Here's where this gets interesting. Isn't it true that there's moments when it doesn't feel like God is cooperating very well? That there's moments when you go, hey, wait, wait, God, you know, I'm, I'm putting my best effort in here. I'm trying to move this in the right direction. I'm just, I'm just, it just feels like you're kind of absent in this process. It doesn't feel like you're doing anything beneficial in this moment to move my life forward. And I would like some help. More than that, isn't it true that there are some moments when it almost feels like God is working against us? In which we go, whoa, 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 how did you let that happen? Whoa, 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 I mean, that just came out of left field and that just makes no sense. Isn't it true there's moments when it feels almost like God is slowing the process down? Which is interesting because, did you know the scripture actually says that it's God's desire for you to have a good life? 
It does. Matter of fact, uh, you don't have to grab your Bibles. Just let me read a verse for you. Uh, we're going to go to another passage in a little while. And chances are you know this verse. And matter of fact, this may be one of the most frustrating verses in the Bible for you. It's Romans chapter 8. It's verse 28. And it simply says this. And we know that in, next word, all things God works. So God's involved. God's right there. He's a co-laborer. He's putting his efforts in. God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Which means, you ready for this? As you and I are here today, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what's going on in your life in this moment, no matter how good it looks or how off the tracks it looks, God is working in your life right now for the good. The problem is it doesn't necessarily feel that way, does it? See, I guarantee you we've got some people in the room and you would say, Lynn, you, you just don't get it. I'm struggling financially right now. Every single month, I get to the point of paying my bills, and there is never enough, which means that month ends up negative. I get to the next month, I'm just that much more negative. I get to the next month, I'm that much further. And I'm just telling you, this is, this is like a hole that is perpetually getting bigger and deeper. And I've been praying. I've been saying, hey, God, look, I just, I just need a little assistance in this moment. And here, look, look, I'm not even asking for a miracle. I'm just asking for a little help, God. So I, I don't care how you accomplish this. It, it can be, you could find me a new job. Uh, you could give me a raise. You could give me a promotion. I don't, I don't care. I, I'm just asking that you help. I don't need a million dollar check in the mail. I just need a reasonable amount of help. Some of us in this room would say, you know, Lynn, I went to the doctor too and my checkup didn't go like yours. And I've been praying. I've been just saying, hey, God, could you get involved? And, and look, if, if you want to heal me miraculously, that would be great. I'll tell everybody that will listen. I'll make your name famous. If you want to use the doctors, I, I don't care. It, it's all right. Just do something. Matter of fact, I would be content if you just made it stay the same and not get worse. It's getting worse. You'd say, I, I've heard those verses where it says God can do all things. I don't need him to do all things. I just need him to do something. And you and I live in moments when it just feels like God is absent and you can't see God's hand working anywhere uh, in our lives. And look, look, if you don't get anything else today, if you don't unpack anything else from the conversation that you and I are going to have today, then here, here's the one truth you need to go home and try to incorporate in your life. And it's simply this. If it isn't good yet, so whatever's going on in my life, no matter how dark it is, no matter how far off the... Tr- if it isn't good yet then God isn't done yet. Let me say that again. If whatever is happening, if, if whatever is broken within your life, and, and you stand in this moment and you look to your past and you go, look, I, I, I just, 
there's nothing about that that even looks good to me. And, and I'm telling you, I'm staying in my present and I, I don't see any way out of this. And I'm looking to my future and I am, I am out of my mind with concern because I can see where this is going. And isn't that ultimately what causes stress in our lives? I wanted a good life, but it doesn't look like a good life is coming up anywhere. And despite whatever my present circumstances are, despite whatever it feels like in the moment, here's what you and I have got to learn to grab onto. That if it isn't good yet, it's because God's not done yet. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, there's an amazing passage in Scripture where Jesus walks his followers through this lesson. He takes them through a moment that by all rights they would say, it's finished. I mean, it is, it is beyond repair. And he's about to teach them. You never call time on God. Because if it's not good yet, it's simply God is not done yet. So grab your Bibles. Here we go. It's John uh, chapter 11. John chapter 11. And if you're not familiar, if you simply go to the back of your Bible and then work to the left, you're going to find this book of John. John chapter 11. Here we go. It's John chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. And here's what you got to get. This isn't, I have a cold, sick. This isn't, pass the NyQuil, sick. This is, I am in urgent care and I am dying sick. There was a man named Lazarus who was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, think about this. Mary and Martha are doing exactly what they ought to do. Say they've come to a moment and they've called the doctor and the doctor's not working. They've been patient and waiting for their brother to get better and he's not getting better. And they're going, okay, okay, it looks like right now it's pretty obvious we need God's involvement. And so they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. They're sending for Jesus. They're, they're calling out and saying, hey, I, this is clearly beyond our capacity, beyond our ability. Lord, would you please get involved in this moment? They're doing exactly what the Bible prescribed and what Jesus would have taught for them to do in the moment. They're asking for help. Verse 4. When Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death. How cool is that? How would you, how cool would it be if when you prayed your prayers, Jesus would tell you how he's planning to answer it? No, no, you get the house. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. And Jesus in this moment says, Hey, just so you know, because this is going to get confusing before we get done, and this is going to get scary before we see the end. Just so you know, this will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I think this is interesting. You realize this is already the second time in this passage that the author, John, has told us that God loves Lazarus, that Jesus loves Martha, 
and that he loves Mary. I think I know why. What's about to happen is about to get dark. It's going to look like Jesus is as insensitive and unconcerned and maybe even a little bit cruel. And so John takes the moment to say, look, look, guys, I'm just telling you, the story's going to go south. Everybody's going to be panicked. And here's, here's, here's the deal. You just need to know. Here's what you need to know as you read on. Jesus loves Lazarus. And Jesus loves Martha. And Jesus loves Mary. Are you ready? And Jesus loves you. And you just need to know that before the lights go out, before the fear meter goes. You just need to know where Jesus' heart is. Guys, 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 guys. This is a big deal. Because I promise you, there's going to be moments in your life when you're going to be pleading for Jesus to do something. You're going to be asking, hey, God, would you please intervene? And you are not going to see the hand of God anywhere in proximity to your need. You're going to go, where are you? And why aren't you doing something? And in the moments, you ready? In the moments when you cannot see the hand of God at work, you've got to be able to trust the heart of God. And to trust in that moment, no, 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 no. I don't get it, and I don't understand why, and I wish he would, even though he's not. And I can't give you an answer right now, but here's what I know. I know he loves me, and I know he's working this for my good. See, when I can't see the hand of God, I have to be able to trust the heart of God. And guys, let's just say this out loud. This is hard. This is hard. See, it's really easy to trust the heart of God when God is doing good things. It's really, really hard to trust God when he seems to be allowing the bad. All right? Think about this for a moment. When you got the job, when, you know, you put your resume out, you applied to a whole bunch of different places. There were some mediocre places, there were some pretty good places. You got the good job. You got the great job. And in that moment, you, I mean, you, you were on Facebook, you were on Twitter, you're going, God is good. God's amazing. God's got a plan. Right? Because it's really, really good to see, it's easy to see the hand of God when God's being good to you. But when you lost that same job, it was really, really hard. To see the hand of God in that. When you got married. When you got married. Woo! Hand of God. Hand of God. Oh, God brought me the most amazing person. They're perfect. Whoa! My life is nothing but up and to the right right now. man. This is amazing. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. See, it's really, it's really easy to see the hand of God when he's doing good in our lives. It's really hard to see the hand of God when you're signing the divorce papers. See, when you bought the house, hey, when you bought the, you're going, man, how, I mean, I didn't think we were going to qualify for the mortgage, and it's perfect. It's perfect. It's in the right neighborhood. The, the schools are amazing for the kids. It's right by the freeway. We can just jump on. Work is just a couple of minutes. I mean, it is remarkable. It's amazing. God is so good. And then when you lost that house, 
Where was the hand of God then? Where was the goodness of God then? And guys, I'm just, here's what I'm going to say to you. It's really, really easy to trust in the goodness of God and the hand of God when things are turning out the way that you and I hoped. It's really, really hard to see the hand of God and to trust the heart of God when they're not. And that one of the most critical things that you and I do in our lives when the hand of God seems to be absent, when it looks like he's withdrawn his favor from us, is in that moment to say, look, I don't know. I don't know why the job went. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't understand. But here's what I do know. I know that my God loves me. I can't see the hand of God, but I trust the heart of God right now. It's going to get critical because the next verse gets dark. It's verse 6. Here's what it says. So when he, Jesus, heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. And then he said to the disciples, okay, uh, let's head to Judea. You get the moment. You, you, you get that here's Jesus, and he's with his disciples, and possibly they're having lunch, and all of a sudden the messenger comes running in and says, oh, you know, Jesus, you know, your friend Lazarus, the, you know, he's really, really sick, and Mary and Martha said, it's urgent, you've got to come now. And in that moment, all the disciples get up and they start heading toward the door. They get to the doorway and they turn and realize Jesus is still sitting there, eating in and out. And he says, hey, could you pass the ketchup? The fries are really dry. And they're like, whoa, Jesus, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you, you must not have heard. Lazarus is critical. I mean, it is essential that you do something right now. And, and look, 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 I know you're the son of God, so here's the, if you know for some reason that he's not going to die, he's suffering. He's suffering. So I guarantee you, Lazarus is going to be thankful for every moment you save in getting there to him to reduce the amount of time that he has to, I mean, Jesus, come on. And Jesus, no. We're just going to hang out here for a while. Which, I mean, guys, think about doesn't it just feel like Jesus is being indifferent to the struggle of his friend? The person he's supposed to love. And maybe, maybe just even a slight bit cruel. You be the counselor. A couple that's been struggling with infertility comes to you and just says, our hearts are broken. Our hearts are broken. We've tried everything possible. And God's not giving us kids. You know, that actually uh, happened here early on in the life of the church. We had a, a couple, Brent and Sonia Richardson, who helped plant our church with us. And they had their first daughter, Abby, but then all of a sudden, just nothing just nothing. And, and if you had asked Sonia, Sonia would have said to you, I, I just have this ache in my heart. I just have this intuitive knowledge that I'm supposed to be a mother and it's supposed to be like a gaggle. You know? And nothing. And, and I watched. I watched as my friends went and, and did all the things that you do when you go to the doctor and, you know, stand on your head and you take the shots and all the in vitro. I mean, all of it. 
thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars later till they finally just said, it's not going to happen. What do you say to a couple when it feels like God is absolutely indifferent to their pain? What do you say to the widow who's been married 40 plus years and now her husband's gone and she doesn't even remember what life was like without him in the room and suddenly what had been wonderful and sweet companionship is now just a lonely house and the silence screams, you are lonely. And there's no prospect that she'll probably ever get married again. This will probably be the way she lives out the end of her... What do you say? What do you say to a dad who's done his very best to raise his kids? I mean, he wasn't just the normal Christian dad. I mean, this is a dad who said, I'm going to get highly invested. I'm going to pour my life into my kids. I'm going to establish a Christian home. And I'm, I'm the guy that's going to read the bedtime Bible story to him. I'm going to pray with him. I'm going to do Bible lessons. I'm going to make sure my kids are at church every time the door. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that my kids are better followers of Jesus than I was. And I'm going to absolutely set the standard for my home whose daughter gets to her junior year. The daughter who was like the president of the youth group. His daughter who was unbelievable, passionate follower of Jesus Christ, go on every mission trip type of Christian. Who now meets up with a college age boy. And suddenly she's lowering her standards because she knows that that boy doesn't love her Jesus the way that she loves her Jesus. But she's going to change him. And ultimately he changes her. And they end up in the backseat of a car one night. And now she's pregnant and he's gone. And this father sits in that moment saying, I'm just telling you, this is everything I worked to get. This is, there's nothing in this story that has anything to do with what I hoped for my little girl. What I wanted for her to be a single mom. I just never. And all I needed, all I needed was one crop failure. And it just feels like God's been indifferent to me. It's why, it's why when you and I can't see the hand of God, we've got to be ready to trust the heart of God. I say, God, I don't understand it and I don't get it and I don't see you helping, I don't see you working. But I trust your heart and I trust that even in this moment you love me. Back to the passage. Skipping on down to verse 17. Here's what it says. It says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Here's what I'm thinking. Jesus, you're late. You are like, you're like really late. And I don't know about you, but I mean, late bugs me. Late bugs me. You ever been on the freeway and that person waits till way too late to get over for the exit? And everybody's you know, and you're just going, come on, you could have gone to the next exit, gotten off, come back. Not endangered all our lives. But worse, here, here's the one, here's the one that drives me absolutely, you ready for this? Late left-hand turners. Huh? The light is green for me, which means it is clearly red for you. 
and you are being absolutely rude right now, turning late. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. I wish cars came equipped with machine gun paintball guns. That in the moment that my light turns green, my trigger is activated. And I would just spray the side of your car and there'd be enough air pressure to cause dents. Because you're late. Jesus is late. He's missed by a big margin. Verse 18. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And then it goes on to tell us that lots of friends come down from Jerusalem to be with the sisters. You realize that's the second time in the story that John has felt compelled to tell you and I that this event, this funeral, happens in Bethany. Isn't that interesting? Apparently he wants you and I to notice this. Here's why I think he does that. 170 years before this occurrence, Bethany is settled by a group of pilgrims coming up from Egypt. They are, you ready, half Egyptian, half Jewish. We don't know. Are they left over from the exodus? We don't know. But they've decided to leave Egypt, and now they have settled and established this little town of Bethany as half Egyptian, half Jewish settlers. Which means it is highly, 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 highly likely that as Lazarus is prepared for burial, he's prepared for burial in the Egyptian manner. Which would mean they've drained all of his blood. They now have embalmed him. They took and cut him open and took all of his organs out, and they've placed those organs in Coptic jars. They took his eyeballs out. They took his tongue out. They sliced around his head, and they popped his brain out, and again, put them in jars, sitting also in the tomb with Lazarus, which means this. Lazarus is extra dead. I mean, he's, he's not normal dead, right? I mean, think about this. You know, if Jesus had come like the first day before they did all this stuff, you're like, well, you know, hey, I'd be pretty cool raising from the dead. But he's like double dog dead. I mean, let me think about this. He's beyond hope, right? I mean, there's, there's just no chance. You think, it, you think it's any coincidence that Jesus decides to perform this miracle? In Bethany? Or did he want every one of us in the room, as we read this story, who felt like in our hearts, God, what's happened in my, I mean, you just don't know, God, it's beyond hope. I mean, there's just not a chance. I mean, the divorce papers are signed. You don't understand. There's no hope. God, you don't get it. My kid's already sitting in jail. There's no hope. And is it possible that God wanted every one of us who've ever had that moment that we wanted to say exactly what Mary and Martha say next? You ready? Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And if you would have stepped in, my child wouldn't have. And if you would have just intervened, my marriage wouldn't have, and, but now it's beyond 
hope. Back to the passage. Verse 38. When Jesus, uh, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, (laughs) said Martha, the the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor because he's been dead for four years days. The four days you didn't show up. Days. And and you get get, get the kind of barb that's in the reply. Jesus, look, if you hadn't spent so much time eating the cheeseburger, if if you would have just walked with a little more pace in your step, if you would have come here before all of this went so far south, but I'm just telling you, Jesus, look, it's, it's too far gone and there is nothing good There's nothing good to see. There's nothing good to experience. There's nothing good to smell. There's nothing good on the other side of that stone. You don't get it. But Jesus. Ever had the but Jesus conversation? Ever had that moment when you're saying... (laughs) That can't possibly be the, the right. No, no, no. I was asking for help. And then Jesus responds and you go, but you don't understand. That's, that, that's not helpful. But Jesus. It's that moment you and I come and we go, hey, you know, my finances really are messed up. I mean, I, I'm just telling you, there's not enough to go around, Jesus. I'd be really nice if you help. And Jesus says, oh, good, tithe. And you go, oh, no, no, well, well, but, but Jesus, you're not listening. You're not listening. I already told you I don't have enough money. Now you're adding a bill. And Jesus would say, you ready for this? No, 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 no. I'm going to ask you to trust me, and then I'll bless you. It, it, it's that moment that you and I would say, hey, Jesus, look, look, my, my schedule is out of control. I'm just telling you, I don't, I, I don't have two moments to rub together. I, I cannot tell you the chaos of my life. Could you just slow my life down a little bit? And Jesus says, oh, yeah, great, serve. And you go, oh, no, Jesus, you're not get it. I, I was asking for relief. I wasn't asking for something more. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you decide to serve, you're going to have to go back and look at your schedule and you're going to have to reevaluate it for the first time with new eyes and you're going to have to decide to only do those things which are absolutely critical and important and you're going to stop doing a lot of good things so that you can do only great things and when you begin to see your schedule with that clarity you'll actually find time so the young girl in the relationship she says hey i it, it's it's going the wrong direction, and, and it, I, can, I can feel it fading right now. And Jesus, would you just kind of make him fall in love with me again? And Jesus said, glad you asked. Break up. And you go, wait, wait, wait. no, no, you don't. But Jesus, you don't understand the question. No, I do. You shouldn't have been dating him in the first place. He's not the right guy for you. Break up with him, because I've got an amazing guy who needs to come in the room and see you unattached. Break up. And how many times, think about this, how many times have we asked God to intervene and when he told us what to do next, we did the but Jesus conversation. 
how ironic, guys, let the, how ironic is it that Martha is saying, but Jesus, when Jesus is on the verge of doing everything she ever hoped he would do even better. And she's but Jesusing him. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone and rolled it away. No, wait, 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 wait. Who's they? Because I'm pretty sure it wasn't Martha and I'm pretty sure it wasn't Mary because they're still struggling. So who's the they that rolled the stone away? And I don't know. I don't know, but I can guess. I'm guessing that there had to be, at least in that crowd, a couple of people who said, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. It's, it sounds crazy. I'm just thinking he's Jesus. See, here, here's the deal. I was at this dinner on the lawn event. And all of a sudden, uh, we realized nobody had food because Peter hadn't planned. So the disciples mugged this little boy and stole his happy meal. And suddenly 20,000 of us had dinner. And look, 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 I don't know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just going, look, look. I don't understand it either. I'm just, I'm just saying this. If I've got to put my money down, I'm putting my money on Jesus. And so they rolled the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always heard me, but I said this for the benefit of people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me, because they're kind of dim-witted. They're slow. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in the strips of linen, so he's still bound up in the cloths around his face. And then Jesus said, take off the grave clothes from him. Someone said, hey, why did he say Lazarus come out? Because if he would have just said come out, there would have been like a whole bunch of people. Hey, what? Coming out of the grave. What? You called Jesus? So he has to go, Lazarus, you know, just, just the one of you. Get the moment. Get the, get the moment. See? Think about this. So they're standing there. They've rolled the stone away. Jesus is standing in front of the hole. And as he stands there, he yells out, Lazarus, come forth. Now, don't you know, guys, guys, you know, just because you know God, there was a pause. See, there was a moment Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, and then nothing happened. And in that moment, the disciples are going, oh, this is embarrassing. This is just... Don't you know that there were skeptics? There were, there were people there who had just been waiting for Jesus to blow it. And they're going, ha ha, see, he finally went too far. He finally just kind of lost the marbles right there. Don't you know that there were Christians? There were people who were followers of Jesus. And in that moment, they're going, oh, wow, 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 wow. I mean, right up, right up till now, I was tracking with Jesus. But I, woo, man, I'm just saying, this is, wow. And then they look up. Dead man floating. And what? You know, it's like, hide the kids. Zombie apocalypse is real. I wish I had played PlayStation more. Why? How? 
Because if it isn't good yet, even in stories of dead men, it's because God isn't done yet. How many of you guys like good coffee? Okay, so we do have some Christians in the room. All right. So, uh, here's the deal. You realize to make a good cup of coffee, it actually takes a whole bunch of things coming together in order to get a great cup of coffee. You know, you, you got to have a coffee maker. And I know, I know, I know, I know. I know some of you got $800 coffee makers. My Mr. Coffee does just as good. But I... I Got to have a coffee maker, got to have a coffee grinder, and some of, you know, got to have just the right texture to it, and, and, you, and I've got the greatest, you know, coffee grinder in the world. Stick your finger in there and see how you feel about your coffee grinder, okay? It's just, there's nothing inherently good about your coffee grinder. Got to have the right bean, you got to have the right filter, you got to have the foofy, foofy, French vanilla, you know, stuff to put on. But here's the reality. You wouldn't, any one of those things stand alone by itself doesn't make a great cup of coffee. It takes all of those things coming together in just the right combination to have a great cup of coffee. Take a small church. And on one Sunday, the pastor stands up in front of the church and says, there's a girl. She's a great Christian girl. She loves the Lord Jesus. She got a little off track. And she's pregnant right now. And she's really struggling. It just feels uncomfortable and it feels embarrassing She's to be around her friends in her home church right now. And so she's hoping to come to Arizona. And she's, she's looking for a home where she could just stay long enough to deliver her child. And in that congregation, a widow who's been married 40 plus years, sitting there in a moment of loneliness and says to herself, Wow. That, that might just be the, the thing that would fill my life and fill my heart. And so she raises her hand and says, I think I could take in a young girl like that. And as Dana comes to live with her, and as they become friends, that widow turns and says to that young girl, you know, my daughter, Sonia, has been trying for years to have a baby. Do you think there's any chance? There's nothing good about a couple, Brent and Sonia, struggling with infertility. There's nothing good about spending tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars trying to have a baby and not having a baby. There's nothing good about being married for 40 plus years and suddenly finding yourself a widow and alone. There's nothing good about being a young lady who's followed Jesus all your life and now you've compromised. There's nothing good about suddenly being a single mom and the guy you thought you loved takes off. And yet God takes all of those things and puts them together. And today, Emma is the adopted daughter of Brent and Sonia Richardson. Because... Because our God is a master at taking things that on first appearance look broken and wrong and turning them into something wonderful. Your God makes a great cup of coffee.
And if it isn't good, it's because God isn't done. Here's what I want us to do today. It's a little bit different than what we normally do. Normally, uh, I pray right now, and hundreds of us leap and run for the doors. (laughs) Believe it or not, when your programming team gets together, we plan a song at the end on purpose. We do that with the hopes that whatever we've said together in this room at least has two or three minutes to settle in on your heart. So that before you go stand in hallways with a bunch of screaming kids, before you hop in your car and start flipping off the parking lot attendants, (laughs) just maybe, just maybe, some of what we've said together would settle in your soul. And I'm just telling you guys, we miss that every Sunday when we jump up and run out of this room. So here's what I want to ask us to do. What if this Sunday we do it different? And I'm just going to ask you to stay in your seat for this one time. And I'm just going to ask you, the band's going to come back out. They're going to play a song. And could you, would you, in that moment, just simply say, is there an area of my life that it's really difficult right now to see the hand of God? And so I'm simply going to choose to trust the heart of God. Because here's what I believe. If it's not good, then it simply means my God's not done. And just see what God would do with our hearts today. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus. We, we come to the moment, and we're just we're going to say this out loud. We, we have had moments in our life where we just looked and said, Jesus, hey, you're late. You're late. And if you had been here, if you would have come on time, it wouldn't have turned out so bad. Things wouldn't have gotten so dark. It would be better. And we forgot. We forgot that if it isn't good yet, It's simply because our God isn't done yet. And so here's what we're choosing today. We're choosing that in the moments that we cannot see your work, the moments we cannot see your hand, that in those moments, we'll trust your heart. This we pray in Jesus' name.